Good morning, church. Y'all excited? Are y'all excited? Yeah, you are. It's a good day. I'm telling you. Hey, um, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 22, okay? I'm serious. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 22. So if, if you're not very familiar with your Bible, I would invite you to turn to the very last book of the Bible today. In fact, to the very last pages of the Bible, because we are going to be in the last chapter of the last book. As you're turning there, I want to tell you about something real exciting. So it is sad our Advent study is coming to an end, and by now you all know that the word Advent means... Hey, one of you does, the arrival, right? Or the coming. It's, 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 it's been a really great time that we have gone all the way, if you think about it, from Genesis chapter 1 to now Revelation chapter 22. We went through the whole scope of Scripture in just five weeks, and now we get to look forward to the years and years together in which we get to do that in depth. It's going to be so much fun. I'm really excited about it. We're going to start by going through the book of Colossians starting next week. And yeah, we had a couple of people clapping in the back. You should. It's going to be a lot of fun, you guys. Um, this is a book that magnifies our Lord. We're going to talk about the, the um, indicatives of the gospel, the things that indicate what God has done. And we're going to talk about the imperatives of the gospel, the commands that we do in response to what God has done. And we're going to do thro so through the lens of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the city of Colossae. Now, it's entitled Little Church, Big Christ, and we're going to unpack what that means. It's going to be so much fun. The reason I'm bringing it up now is that our staff has diligently been working on a very neat booklet that we are going to put in your hands right now. One per family to start, right? But if there are more of you that, that you know, maybe you're here by yourself or maybe you need a couple more, there are going to be more in the back where you can grab them. The, the deacons, our men are, are handing them out right now. Listen, in this booklet, for 12 days, you're going to be challenged to work through the entire book of Colossians with whoever you commit to doing that with, right? If you're married, you can do it with your spouse. If you're a parent, you can be doing this with your children. If you, if you have none of those elements in your life, then pick a friend, right? Pick a buddy and work through the book of Colossians. You're going to, you're going to be challenged to read through passages every morning. Okay? You're going to have a summary on every page that will help you work through that passage. You're going to have some questions that are going to help you reflect on what you have just learned. And then finally, you're going to have a time set aside to pray together as a family. Doesn't that sound wonderful? You do that for 12 days. And at the end of those 12 days, you will have read through an entire book of the Bible and you will have done so before we ever talk about it from the pulpit. That is cool, okay? And so you're going to do that. Uh, there's also scripture memorization. Listen, guys, don't, don't freak out. How many of you guys, oh, I'm not even going to ask. You've memorized so many rap songs. I'm, I'm serious. You have so many songs from the 70s that are just sitting in the back of your mind and won't go away. You can memorize the three scriptures, one of which is on the back of this booklet. This will change our life. This will change our church. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to do that together. The other thing we're going to do during this study, I, I know we're taking some time, you guys. This is worth it. The other thing we're going to do during this study, starting on January 21st, is I and the deacons, we are going to invite you to stay after service that day. So what's going to happen is we'll, we'll sing our song, we'll do our prayers, and we'll conclude. But then what we can do as a family is I'm going to invite you to go grab a cup of coffee, you come back inside and you sit down because we're going to open up the book of Colossians and we're going to read it together from start to finish. Now, when the letter of Colossians was written by Paul to the church, you know what they did? They delivered that letter to the church and someone opened up that scroll and they read it. 
together from start to finish. And in doing that together, in praying through the words that the apostle had written them from so far away, they saw the whole picture of what he had painted about who Jesus is and what he has done. And so as we're committing to do this for three months, we are also simultaneously three times as a family after church, we're going to open it up and we're going to do the exact same thing. And it is going to be so much fun. It is going to open your eyes to the beauty of what it looks like to actually receive a message from the Holy Spirit. Y'all want to do that? that together? Yeah, you do. And we're going to do it starting on January 21st. Okay. So prepare yourselves. If you have youngins, it's going to be okay for them to be running around in this room. You know, after this, it's okay. We're a family. The family of Colossae heard it together. We're going to hear it together. That is starting on, well, next week we're going to start the service. The 21st is when we're going to read that letter. Oh, this is good stuff. I'm so excited. Why don't we open up in a word of prayer together before we get into Revelation chapter 22. Heavenly Father, we we thank you, God, for this time that we have, the freedom that we enjoy to be able to gather together as your people and to to lift our praises to you, singing that, that you would come and reign forevermore. Lord Jesus, your word speaks to the promise that you have given us that you will come. So that when we study the, the, the first coming and your birth and the day in which the word became flesh, we know that scripture indicates not only have you come, not only have you rescued us, Lord, from, from our sin and from the wrath we deserved, but you rescued us to a life that we can live now anticipating the day that you will come. Help us now as we open up your word. Give us understanding, Holy Spirit, as we uh, wrestle with the, the words of Jesus. And we pray all these things in your name, Lord. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 22. So I'm going to give you a quick summary of all the things we've talked about so far. We talked about the need, right? When it comes to the arrival and coming, we've talked about there is a need present in every single human being in which sin came into the world through Adam. But on that same day in which sin came into the world, we received the promise that God would make it right, that one would come, would crush the serpent's head, right, and would reconcile us to God. We learned about the promise. We learned about how it's articulated from the very beginning in Genesis all the way into the moment that Jesus arrived, pointing towards the day in which the son of David would come, right? The one who would sit on the throne of David forever. We talked about the silence. Long period of time that the people of God were enduring suffering and waiting for the day in which he would come that that actually foreshadows the day that we live now in which we wait for the Lord to come back. And then finally, oh boy, did we talk about the miracle last week, right? As we celebrated Christmas together. We talked about the day in which the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so today what we're going to do is we are going to wrap up this Advent study by actually looking about the hope that is presented in Advent. And we're going to do so per usual by defining our terms. We're going to ask Siri again, what is is our main term here? Hope. What does that mean? Well, Siri would say, hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to come about. Now, that's not so bad, okay? A feeling of expectation, a desire for a certain thing to come about. Now, let's put that into a Christian lens, Here is a Christian understanding of the word hope. It is the confidence that by integrating God's redemptive acts in the past, 
with trusting human responses here in the present, the faithful will experience the fullness of God's goodness, both in the present and in the future. Let me make that digestible for you. Christian hope looks back to a risen Jesus in order to look forward to a certain future. Amen? All right. And so uh, you might ask yourself then, what does that have to do with Christmas, Ben? You know, Christmas is over. The presents have been unwrapped. We are moving on. Well, the truth is that the coming or the arrival did not end in the manger with Jesus, did it? The coming or arrival foreshadows the future coming in which Jesus will come back and he will make all things new. You have heard over the last couple of weeks us constantly saying that we are a people now who are waiting, right? Sometimes in what feels like the silence that God is not speaking into. We are waiting for a second advent. We are waiting for the coming or arrival of Jesus. And, and Jesus, the truth is, he, he told us to anticipate his return. On, on the last day that he was here, as he's with the disciples, and they're asking about the kingdom of heaven, and, you know, he said, don't worry about that. You just wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you guys are going to go out, and you're going to carry the message of the gospel to the four corners of the world. He tells that to them. He gives them their final marching orders. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, this is what it says happens. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing up into heaven, wondering where he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He will come. So from that point on, the church is waiting. We're waiting on Jesus' return, and that becomes the the object of our hope that, that we would cling to from every moment forward. And so it wasn't long in which that hope started uh, to be tested. See, the, the church began to experience the persecution that Jesus promised would come to those who call him Lord, right? And so it was into the beginning of persecution, the death of, of Stephen, the, the murder of James, the brother of John, right? The, the open hunting down of God's people. It was into that persecution that Jesus himself gives a vision, the Lord himself speaks to his best friend and to his disciple. He gives a message to John. It was intended to uh, reignite hope in some people in the church. It was intended to install hope for the very first time into other people in the church. And that hope, the form of that hope, the form of that message is what we call the book of Revelation. So as we conclude our study into Advent, what we're going to do is we're going to seek after those same intentions, church. We're going, we going to seek to reignite our hope, right, for those of you that belong to Jesus. But then for others of you that do not belong to him in this room today, what I'm, what I'm hoping the, the, the Holy Spirit would do in you is to install hope for the very first time where no hope existed. That's what we're going to seek to do today as we ask ourselves the question, what is the hope of this season of Advent. What is the hope of the second coming of our Lord? Let's read Revelation chapter 22, verse 6 to 21. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. 
And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, he sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But see, the angel said, you you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do what is right. And the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Whew. That's good. Okay. Um, let's, let's, let's start by addressing the elephant in the room. There are three types of people that are in the room right now. Okay. Um, there is one type of person in the room right now that has very strong opinions about the book of Revelation. All right. There are others who are so terrified, so confused, or so terribly confused by the book of Revelation that they would not touch it with a 10-foot pole. And then there is a final group in here that has never heard a single word of the book of Revelation, and you are very, very confused and lost right now. Or maybe you're a mix of something of the the three in between. With that in mind, what we're going to do before we even start with this book is we're going to set some ground rules. I know it sounds nerdy, but it's actually a lot of fun. We're going to set some ground rules for working through the book of Revelation that's going to help us today. The first rule is this, okay? We are going to treat the book of Revelation as a, the unique genre that it is, okay? It was written by John the disciple, the apostle. It was a message given to him, but here's the thing. It was given to him by Jesus. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, the the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all the things that he saw. Okay, so the truth is that John was the messenger to us, but he was given a message uh, to us by God himself. So do you think we ought to pay attention to it? 
Yes, the truth is yes. Um, Revelation is also apocalyptic. Which means what we're going to see is we're going to see images and symbols. And sometimes those images are going to be literal. They're meant to uh, uh, convey literal truth. Other times they're meant to convey non-literal truth. Much like the book of Daniel, right? And so at the end of the day, we find in the book of Revelation things that mean uh, to apply to today, to now. But then simultaneously, we find things that are supposed to point to the future. Does that sound confusing? Yeah, it does. It does sound confusing. But here's a reassuring thought for you. This is what it says in chapter 1, verse 3. This is what Jesus said. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. And blessed are those who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now guys, those blessings would not exist. They wouldn't exist if revelation could not be understood and applied to our lives. So right off the bat, we have the assurance of God himself, the encouragement that we can do this together, all right? So that's the first principle. Here's our second rule. We are going to acknowledge that there were original churches that this letter was sent to, okay? There are seven of them referenced in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, others. There are all these places in Asia Minor, in Turkey. That is the, the, the current uh, country today. And so what that strongly indicates... John using real places, uh, told by Jesus to do so, to send this letter to those places, it strongly indicates that the first intended audience of this letter was the churches in Asia Minor. And then the principles of this letter are being passed on to us. And that should sound familiar to you. That sounds like an epistle, right? We get the letter to the church in Colossae, and we know that it's written specifically to that audience, and yet we also know that there are many things that he wrote to the church in Colossae that we can apply to our lives. Today, the same principle applies to Revelation. We can look at the unique circumstances of these churches and what it meant to them, and then try to find the differences that are meant for them and the ones that are meant for Christians universally. Here's the final rule. Let's agree on the central theme of Revelation. This is really important. Revelation is written to a persecuted church, suffering under the rule of this man named Domitian, the emperor of Rome. And they are, they are, they're facing the threat of false teaching. There's, there's danger everywhere. That is the environment that existed when this letter was first penned by the Lord to the church. And so we know right off the bat, universally, the main purpose and theme of Revelation is not to provide a roadmap for us, not to, for us to be able to figure everything out. No, the main purpose of this book is to provide hope, hope for a persecuted church, hope to look to in order to be warned and to fortify the church against this enduring suffering and hope to even stay pure in the midst of this defiling and wicked culture. Amen? All right, there's a little bit of agreement there. Okay, so are we excited? Those are your rules. This is good stuff. I didn't say pre or post or ah or anything, so this is going to be a lot of fun. All right? All right. What is the hope of Advent? Let's start here. The first thing that I, I think we can derive from this text is that the hope of the season of Advent, the second coming of our Lord, is found in the fact that Advent reminds us that Jesus is coming soon. Okay? Okay? 
Advent reminds us that Jesus is coming soon. Now that phrase, uh, or, or some variation of the phrase, I am coming soon, I am coming quickly, those things are littered throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, chapter 1, verse 3, we just read it. He says, there are things that must soon tame, take place, and the time is near in which they will take place. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Behold, I am coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and, every, and even those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Revelation chapter 2, verse 16 says, I will come to you soon, and I will war against false teachers and, and the, the ones that follow him with the sword of my mouth. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on so that he may not go out naked and be exposed. But see, then when we get to our passage today, and guys, this is the, the final chapter of the final book of the Bible. Jesus doesn't just say it once. He says it three times. Verse 7, he says, behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, surely I am coming soon. Why does he keep reminding us of that, church? Why is he ramping it up? Oh, man, if you read the Gospels, if you were familiar with Jesus at all, what does he mean to do when he repeats something over and over and over again? He's drilling at us into our skulls. He's making sure that we know it. He's emphasizing it that he matters. Surely, truly, truly, I am coming soon. And to a persecuted church in the first century that's suffering under Rome, to a persecuted church in the 21st century that still feels hurt, still feels the brokenness of the world, in some parts of the world today are still being hunted down because they're represented by Jesus Christ. Isn't this the ultimate assurance for that church? The fact that Jesus is coming soon. It matters. I'd say there are two reasons why it really matters that Jesus is coming soon. Because it represents his promise to rescue a people. How many of you guys have seen Prince of Egypt? Huh? Nobody? Oh, I'm seeing some head shakes. I, I see a couple of uh, smattering. If we, we're going to have to do a movie night. We're going to have to show this thing. It's one of my favorite movies. My kids won't even watch it anymore because I watch it too much. It, so there's a moment, and I mean, my wife is watching this online. She's going to be embarrassed. At, at the beginning of the movie, at the end of the movie, you have this song, right? What's the end of the song? Deliver us. Boom. That's how it ends. Both times. I, I kid you not, every time I see it, I cry. The reason why, church, is because of people that are suffering and oppressed under the yoke of this world are crying out to God, deliver us, come. Here's another illustration. Any of you that are parents or any of you that are kids, you might have experienced this. When, when a kid um, has a bad dream, when they, when they get a boo-boo, right? Parents, you see the hurt in their eyes, you see the sadness, you see the fear, what do you do? give him a big hug. You hold him real, real close, and you say, it's going to be okay. I'm here. Daddy's here. It's going to be all right. 
Now, when that same kid gets stuck in the tree for the third time this week, Jed, like, seriously, when he does it, what do you do? You look up in that tree, you say, don't move off the branch, I'm coming, son, I'm coming, I'll be there soon, don't you? Children need to be reassured. Children need to understand that their parents are in control and that they are on the way. Now, the whole of Scripture testifies to the truth that the God wields sovereign control over all events, all things in this world, and he tells us that his intention is to use those things for the good of his people. Even in Revelation, what we see is that he will end all things by making a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, behold, I am making all things new. But then he follows it up by saying the most reassuring thing that God can do in this moment. He reminds us, he reminds his children that when things are uncertain in the present, he is on the way. But that's not the only thing he does, right? He's not, he's not just promising us that he is on the way to rescue us. He is, he is reminding us, you guys. He is reminding us, church, that he is coming to judge the world, and with him comes justice, the promise of God's justice. Jesus told us in the Gospels that his role and his function um, in, in the end times given to him was that he would be a judge, said it on multiple occasions. And here we are at a picture of the end of all things, and he is telling us what? Verse 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, and I bring my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Revelation chapter 2, verse 16. Remember what it says. I will, I will come to you soon, and I will war against false teachers with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is coming soon. He will bring with him deliverance and he will bring with him a promise that the unjust will pay. Assurance is what God gives his people in the final days. He says, I am coming soon. And then to that assurance, even in our passage today, he adds the affirmation of the truthfulness and the severity of that message. He says in verse six, these words of mine are true. They will take place soon. In verse 16, he says, I, Jesus, I myself have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. Don't you doubt that it came from any other source than God himself. In verse 18, John adds this threat. In isolation, it seemed really weird. But in the context of the severity of this message, in the context of the promises that are being made, look at what he says. If anyone adds to this message, God will add to him a plague. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Church, Jesus is coming soon. And we might not know the hour, we might not be able to grasp the whole length of time that it's going to take. Scripture makes it thoroughly clear that that is the case. And yet, at the same time, it just as thoroughly makes clear he will return and we need to be prepared as a result. And that's going to bring us to our next point, okay? Um, Jesus will return. He is coming soon. And the hope of the Advent season not only reminds us that he is coming soon, the Advent also reminds us that we need to live as though Jesus is coming soon. You hear what I'm saying? We need to live as though Jesus is coming soon. 
In verse 7, he says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is a good word, you guys. Blessed is not a future word. Actually, in, in the language of what we see here, blessed, it indicates a present reality. It's saying that ultimately, I am coming soon, and so you are therefore blessed if you keep my commands now. That makes sense? And it's in line with what we see in the Gospels. It's in line with what we see in the character of who Jesus is. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In chapter 15, verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. This call to obedience and this, this response to the coming of Jesus is therefore echoed by our Lord in Revelation chapter 22, verse 10 and 11. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do righteous, and the holy still be holy. Listen, church, in this moment, along with all the encouragement that comes from knowing that Jesus is coming soon, John instructs us not to, uh, not to wade into not listening to the demand to this response, but instead realize that the revelation of Jesus coming is a demand for a response, and that that response will serve as the proof of our eternal destiny. The evil are going to keep doing evil, and they will reveal that they do not belong to God, and they deserve his punishment. Listen, God's people, they practice righteousness. God's people keep themselves holy, and in doing so, in response to the work that God has done by his grace, we will prove the genuineness of our faith. The revelation of Jesus is coming. It demands a response. And so we have to live as though Jesus is coming. Now, some people in this room right now are saying, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, I hear what you're saying. Jesus is coming. That's a terrifying prospect. I want to be obedient to the words that, that, that God has told me to do, but I don't understand what that means. Here's the truth, Christian. Here's the hard truth that we really need to take account of today in this room is that the New Testament has put on full display what it means to put on the holiness and the righteousness of God in Christ. It means living by the example of Christ, living by the things that he did, the actions of Jesus, the words that he spoke that are affirmed by the apostles and by the church. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 2. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, that person is a liar. The truth is not in that person. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. 2 Peter chapter 3 uh, articulates a very similar truth, actually in response to the final coming. He says, since the day of the Lord comes, what sort of people ought you to be 
in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Peter says it again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action, right? Be prepared for action. Be sober-minded. Don't be controlled by your emotions. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former selves, but as he who called you is holy, you ought to be holy in all of your conduct. This is a hard one. It says, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Church, we've received a mandate by God, by our Lord, again and again and again. The same God who, who, who said himself, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. We've received a, a mandate to know and then to obey the commands of Christ in, to res in response to what he's done. Do we know the commands of God, Christian? Do we know where they are? Have we committed ourselves to reading Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, Romans 12 through 15, Colossians 3 and 4, Galatians 5 and 6, Peter's letters, James' letters, John's letters, the wealth of the Gospels that articulate the overwhelming amount of actual commands that Jesus gave us to do every single day. Man, do I feel the conviction in my own heart right now. Do I know God's Word? Am I giving excuses when I fail? Have I strove to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect? Am I striving for that goal constantly, every single day, being drawn into a deeper love for God who loves me despite my feeble commands to bring him glory? Jesus will bring recompense. He will pay each one for what he has done. It's a new year dawning. A lot of time for resolutions, right? One of the things we could actually commit ourselves to do is to seek after the example of our Lord, to ingest the word of God and the commands therein and to apply them to our lives, not as uh, an attempt to legalistically earn the favor of God, but in response to the overwhelming grace we received and the anticipation that we have that he is coming soon. This is the hope that Advent provides us. It's a hope to know that he is coming soon. It is a hope to live accordingly. There's one more thing. I think it's also an, a hope that encourages us, this is a fun one, to desire that Jesus would come soon. To desire it. We know that he's coming soon. We want to live like he's coming soon. We need to desire that he is coming soon. There, there exists a tension uh, in Scripture as you're reading through it about the day that the Lord is coming, the day of the Lord. Paul writes about it in his future. He's contemplating at the end of his life uh, what, 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 the, what the, the objective of all of the things that he's trying to, to do, that he has been doing for the Lord and the things that he's looking forward to. And at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, this is what he concludes. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord... The righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
desired his coming. We read this a long time ago in Romans chapter 8, verses 22 to 23. Paul said, for we know that the whole world has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, desiring for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. But church, What do we groan for exactly? Why is it that we would love his appearing? Well, there is a reward. We know that, right? Scripture says that there is a reward in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll encourage you to read through the whole thing and starting in 53 and working through 57, he talks about how the trumpets will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. We will put on imperishable bodies. There will be victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and we say amen. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, we find that the dwelling place of God will be with man, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning or crying or pain. The former things will pass away, it says. Heaven will be glorious, won't it? But see, our passage today provides us a really interesting consideration, especially when we look at it through the eyes of its author, through John, who is... He's beholding all the works of God. He's experiencing the presence of God in this moment, and he finds himself absolutely overwhelmed. This is what it says. It says, verse 8 and 9, I, John, and the one who heard these things and saw these things, it's a summary statement for all of Revelation. Can you imagine? I saw these things, and when I heard and I saw them, I fell down and I worshiped at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But the angel said, no, 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 you, you got to stop that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, with, with those who keep the words of this book. You worship God. Man, um, when you're studying through this passage, what you're going to find is that a lot of people spend time trying to figure out why angel worship is wrong. And they might try to comment on John's actions. The truth is, very few people try to understand why it is that John does it in the first place. Let me give you two reasons. The first is that the angel reflects the glory of God. We should be familiar with this right now. He reflects the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. The same glory of God that the multitude of angels displayed when our Lord was born, right? The shepherds, they were afraid. They were terrified because the angels reflected the glory of God. But see, there's something about this particular angel In Revelation chapter 22, this particular angel was special because he was the vessel, you guys. He was the vessel of the revelation that Jesus was providing. He was the messenger that was giving John this specific revelation, the one who was showing John all of the works that God was yet to do and a day that John longed for with all of his heart. It says in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1, at the beginning of our uh, passage today, it says, This angel showed John the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. This angel showed him the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, the, 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 the leaves of which were healing for the nation. Man, no longer will there be any curse. The servants of God will worship him. We will see his face. There will be no more light. No, no, there, there, there needs to be no light for the Lord God will be our light and they will reign forever and ever. Who gave him that message? 
Jesus through the angel. Jesus through the angel. And John longed for that day. Man, he hears this word from Jesus. And he has this desire to respond to the presence and the work of God. And so overwhelmed in that moment, he falls at the one person he can, the angel. And he worships him. And what does the angel say? Don't do that. No, 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 no. You worship God. I'm, only, I'm, I'm just the one who's bringing the word. He's the one you want. And so if there's a lesson to be learned from this example, from from John realizing a really embarrassing moment before the entire church. The lesson is that he longs for a relationship with Jesus that was previewed in this life when he first saw him, but that will culminate in the communion with God and the worship of God forever. And so this story that began in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 with our original design in which we were designed to be in the presence of God, now according to Revelation is coming to a certain future in which we will be with God forever. Do we desire that, church? Do we desire communion, not just with each other and not just in our own pleasure, but with God, with Jesus? This is a quote. It's not mine. It's a quote. The critical question for our generation, for every generation, is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you have ever had on earth, with all the food you liked, with all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you've ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, and no more human conflict, no natural disasters, would you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? church? How do we view this eternity that we've been promised? Is Jesus in the picture? Will, he, will we have communion with the Lord forever? We need to desire his coming because we need to desire the day in which we will be in the presence of God for eternity. And here's the cool thing. We need to desire it for other people. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears said, come. And let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Friends, there's a duality to this verse. On one hand, most certainly the spirit, the church, the individual believer is crying out and saying, come Lord Jesus, come soon. But on the other hand, what do we do with this, this one who is thirsty? What do we do with the one who desired, who is told to take the waters of life? There's two uh, invitations that are happening here to the, to the one who is seeking the water that only Jesus can provide. And, and I think if we're looking at who wrote this book, we can look at John and we can think of the day in which a very similar thing took place at a well. In John chapter 4, verses 10 through 14, this is what Jesus was recorded to have said. If you knew the gift of God and, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so what we have here, church, John is inspired in the very final words of this book 
the very final words of the Bible to provide one more invitation to lost people, to provide one more chance that they would see the light that is Jesus Christ. And anticipating the coming of Christ, it's welling up inside him. It causes him to long for Jesus to finally return. And his first response here and now is an urgency to reach the world with the truth. That the world would know this hope. The whole Bible, you guys. The whole Bible, I'll tell you what. In Daniel, there's a very similar book that parallels the book of Revelation. It's, it's the, the, the prophecy that was given to Daniel. And it says in uh, chapter 12, the end of that prophecy, Daniel is instructed in uh, 12 verse 1, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Friends, God told Daniel that it wasn't time yet. Shut up those words. You know what God told John? Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Church, the time is near. Jesus is coming soon. If you're in this room and you desire the waters that lead to life, our passage today, the instructions to you are blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they might enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Church, if, if, if you have ears to hear, if you're a person in this room and you do not believe, God is telling you that by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, you are not only a sinner that is need of a savior that is worthy of the wrath of God, but that the salvation that you need can only be provided by Jesus who calls himself the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the most important in all of creation. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And Christian, if that's already you, if you're a believer and you came here to be edified, the, the hope reignited in your heart. Our message today is that we need to be a people that do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. We need to hope with anticipation that Jesus will surely come soon and he will complete every work that he has promised from the beginning to the end. We need to live holy lives that reflect our God and we need to anticipate in his imminent return a longing for the day that we will be with him forever. These are the last words of scripture the revelation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And John and all of the saints say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that affirms the truth of your word in our hearts. God, thank you for the, the full breath of it, God, that, that expresses the need that we have for you, the, the sin that, that has a grip on our hearts and enslaves us, that, that we live from the, 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 the beginning of our lives spiritually dead, but, but by your grace, you have given us life in your son, Jesus. He has become a light in the darkness. He has become flesh and lived the life we could not live. He died the, 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 the death that we deserved on the cross, and he rose again to affirm your power to save us. Lord, would you give us a reignited hope of the day in which you are coming? Lord, would you ignite in the hearts of the people in this room that do not believe a knowledge that you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through you? Would there be belief amongst us, God, that ignites um, a desire to live holy lives for you? And God, would we take the words of this prophecy out to the four corners of the world to present a hope world, the hope that only comes by your blood and your life. Jesus, we look forward to the day that the image of, of your being is not you hanging on a cross, but the image of you riding on a horse and the nations of the world screaming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. God, bring that day soon and prepare our hearts to desire it. We pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus. Amen.